turn for our scripture reading this morning to the book of Revelation, chapter 19 and 20. We will be reading portions from each of those chapters. Revelation 19, we begin at verse 11 and read to the end of the chapter. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. In the next chapter, John sees a vision of the millennium, the thousand years in which Christ reigns, which we understand to be a figurative period of time and to refer to the present, the present time of his reign from heaven. And then we read in verse 11 of the final judgment. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We read God's word that far this morning. And we consider together the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism on the basis of these scriptures and many other passages. Lord's Day 19 of the Catechism asks us these questions. Why is it added, and sitteth at the right hand of God? Because Christ is ascended into heaven for this end, that he might appear as head of his church, by whom the Father governs all things. What profit is this glory of Christ our head unto us? First, that by his Holy Spirit he pours out heavenly graces upon us his members, and then that by his power he defends and preserves us against all enemies. What comfort is it to thee 
that Christ shall come again to judge the quick and the dead, that in all my sorrows and persecutions, with uplifted head, I look for the very same person who before offered himself for my sake to the tribunal of God and has removed all curse from me to come as judge from heaven, who shall cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but shall translate me with all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joys and glory. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we work through the articles of the Apostles' Creed, this morning we consider the rest of the sixth article that we began last time concerning Christ sitting at the right hand of God, but we also consider the contents of the seventh article of the Apostles' Creed, that Jesus Christ shall come again from the right hand of God to judge the living, and the dead. What we are considering here this morning is what you might call the high point or the culmination of the exaltation of Christ. Christ has risen from the dead. Christ has ascended into heaven. And now we consider the last steps of his exaltation. Christ sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, And Christ comes again to judge the living and the dead. The Apostle John, when he was exiled to the island of Patmos, saw many marvelous visions which he was instructed to write down in the book of Revelation. John saw, in the vision that we read this morning, the glorious day of Christ, The glorious day that is still in the future when Jesus Christ will come from heaven as judge to cast all of his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but to translate me and all of his chosen ones into heavenly joys and glory. John sees a vision in which the heavens are opened before his eyes. And what he sees revealed there in heaven is a great white horse and a man sitting on that horse whose eyes are like a flame of fire, who is clothed in a vesture dipped in blood, who is surrounded by all of the armies of heaven, angels riding on their own white horses, and who is coming down from heaven toward the earth to judge and to make war against the beast and those who follow the beast in order to cast them into the lake of fire. And then a little bit later on, John sees another vision in which there is a great white throne and he sees someone sitting on that throne and he sees All mankind, the small and the great, the living and the dead, gather before that throne, stand before God. And he sees that the heavens and the earth flee away from the one who sits upon the throne, so that all that remains is the throne of judgment. And all nations, all humans, standing before that throne to be judged out of the books which contain all things that they have ever done. Now, after reading those visions, you might say, what a frightful scene. What a terrible, what a horrible vision is presented to us there. But the Catechism asks us, what comfort is it to you to know that Christ comes again to judge the living and the dead? There is nothing for us to be afraid of as Christians when we think of And as we read those visions of the coming day of Christ, rather, there is comfort for us. Unimaginably great comfort. And we're going to consider that comfort together this morning. 
I call your attention to the theme, Believing the Coming of Christ to Judge. We notice, first of all, his final judgment of all mankind. So in the first point of the sermon, we go to the very end, and we start with that greatest step of his exaltation, the final judgment. In the second point, we consider his glorious return from heaven. And there we back up a little bit to the moment when Christ comes. And thirdly, we consider his current rule over all things. And then we back up just a little bit more to the present time. Where is Christ now? And what is he doing today? Believing the coming of Christ to judge. As Christians, we believe that our Lord Jesus Christ is going to come again to judge the living and the dead. The Catechism puts these words into our mouths as believers. I look for the very same person who before offered himself for my sake to the tribunal of God to come as judge from heaven. That's what I look for as a Christian in this present time. And I look for that on the basis of the promises of Scripture. Jesus himself promised in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 33, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. The Apostle Paul also speaks of this great day, the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel, Romans 2, verse 16. As we saw, the Apostle John saw visions of the coming of Christ, that he will come from heaven, as it were, riding on a white horse. That is, he will come in glorious victory, in glorious majesty as King of kings and Lord of lords, as the victorious Savior. And John also saw that when he comes on his white horse, Revelation 19, verse 11, in righteousness he doth judge and make war. He will come to judge and to make war with his enemies. So when John sees that vision of the great white throne in chapter 20, and we are told that all men will stand before God, we are taught by the scriptures that God will be the judge on that great day. But God will judge in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who will sit on that throne of glory will be God himself in the person of Christ. This will be the high point of the glory of Christ in history. This will be the highest point of his glory, his exaltation in the eyes of men. The Catechism teaches us that the very same person who before offered himself for my sake to the tribunal of God, will come as judge. The very same person, the very same Jesus, the very same Christ, who was born in Bethlehem, who lived in Nazareth, who suffered all his life long, and finally presented himself before the tribunal of God. The tribunal of God refers to the highest court in the universe. A tribunal is a court. So the tribunal of God is the court of God, the supreme court of the universe, the highest court for all nations and kindreds and tribes. The same person who offered himself for my sake before the court of God Almighty And he did that when he offered himself before the court of Pontius Pilate. The court of Pilate in Jerusalem was just a symbol and a picture of the court of God Almighty. The same person whom we see in the Gospels going as a lamb 
dumb before her shearers, that same person will come as judge. The same person, the same Christ, who obeyed the will of his Father in heaven and came down into the earth and took responsibility for the sin of the whole world of God's elect, who took responsibility for the millions of sins of the millions of God's people throughout all the nations of the world. And he bore the responsibility for those sins before God, before the judge of all nations, when he stood before Pontius Pilate, the same person who received the horrible sentence of condemnation for sins that he didn't commit, for sins that he was not personally responsible for. As was symbolized when Pontius Pilate declared, I find no fault in this man, and yet declared him guilty and condemned him to the death of the cross. The very same person who suffered the punishment, the awful, terrible agonies of the wrath and indignation of God described in Revelation the fierceness of the wrath and judgment of God Almighty. The same person who suffered that wrath for us, symbolized by the cross, when he hung on that cross, pierced, nailed, shedding his blood, laying down his life. The very same person who suffered all of that for our sins, who suffered what we deserve, that person, that very same person, is going to come again as judge from heaven. The one who once stood as an innocent yet accused and condemned man who stood in front of the judgment seat will now stand behind the judgment seat. The one who stood before the tribunal of God will now stand in the tribunal of God. He will sit on the throne of glory. And we are told that when he sits on that throne of glory, All nations will come before him, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the living and the dead. And we are told that the heavens and the earth will flee away. The heavens, the earth, they will flee away from the presence of Christ when he comes to judge the living and the dead, so that there will be no more heavens and there will be no more earth. There will only be Christ, only Christ, sitting on the great white throne of glory and gathered before him all humans who have ever lived. The living, those who live until the very last day, whether believers or unbelievers, those who live and who remain and are alive on that day when he comes, they will come before the judgment and the dead. That is, those who have died in the past, Those who will yet die in the future, those who will be buried in the ground, they will be resurrected in their bodies so that they will come before the face of Christ to be judged. That will be the moment of greatest glory for Jesus. He will sit there on that throne of glory in all of his power, in all of his righteousness, shining forth as the sun, And all men will have to come before him to hear his judgment. Christ will do three things at the final judgment. In the first place, he will expose the works of all men. He will expose all of our deeds, all of our words, and all of our thoughts, even the secrets of our hearts. We read in Revelation 20 that The dead, small and great, will stand before God, and the books will be opened. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So there are these books that are being written in heaven in the present time. God is writing those books. And there's a book for every one of us. You have a book, and I have a book, and everyone else has a book And in those books, God records everything that you have done, everything that you have said, everything that you have thought in the secret recesses of your heart. 
And when Christ comes, those books will be opened. That means he will expose what we have done, what we have said, and what everyone else has done and said. In Romans 2, we read that God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. The secrets of men. The secret thoughts of the heart. The desires of the soul that no one else knows except for yourself. They will be opened up. They will be exposed. And they will be made known. How will that happen? It is impossible for us to know how Christ will expose the millions of sins of the billions of people who have lived throughout the history of the world in that one moment of time of the final judgment. We don't know how that will happen. It will be a wonder. It will be a miracle. And the purpose of that miracle will be to vindicate the Almighty God so that he will be righteous when he judges. Everyone must know that God is righteous when he judges, and therefore Christ will first expose our sins. In the second place, Christ will judge. He will judge those things which are exposed, those thoughts and words and deeds. He will judge them according to the standard of the law of God, contained in the commandments of God, which God has made known to everyone. Because God has taken his law and he has imprinted it upon the conscience of man so that whether you grow up in the church or outside of the church, whether you've read the scriptures or not read the scriptures, the law with its requirements is imprinted upon your conscience. You will judge according to the law that is also revealed in perfect and beautiful clarity in the Holy Scriptures so that those who have read the Scriptures and who know the Gospel will be judged according to what they know. And Christ, having exposed the deeds, will judge each one of those deeds as good or evil. He will judge it as righteous or or unrighteous. He will judge it as truth or a lie. He will judge it as arising out of a heart of love or arising out of a heart of hatred. He will judge every single deed. He will render a verdict upon every work and a final verdict for every person of righteous or guilty. And then thirdly, Christ will carry out the sentence that is in harmony with the justice of God. The Catechism teaches us that he will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation. He will condemn his enemies and my enemies as a Christian, and he will cast them into everlasting judgment. To use the language of Matthew 25, he will cast the goats into eternal punishment. The goats, to whom he will say, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. When I was in prison, you didn't visit me. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. And they will say, when did we do that? And he will say, when you didn't do it, to one of these least of my brethren, you didn't do it unto me. Or to use the language of Revelation, he will cast out the beast and the false prophet and those who receive the mark of the beast and those who follow the Antichrist. He will cast out those who worship the devil and worship the Antichrist, who oppress and kill and persecute the church. He will cast them into eternal destruction. But he will translate me And all of his chosen ones, all of his elect from all nations, kindreds, tribes, and tongues, he will translate us into heavenly joys and glory. He will translate us out of this world and into the world to come where we will dwell in beautiful fellowship with God through Christ. 
for all eternity, world without end. And he will carry out those sentences through his angels. He says in his parables, for example, in Matthew 13, the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. What a glorious day that will be for Jesus. The very high point of his glory to be given this privilege of executing the final judgment that will determine the final destiny of all men. Glory for Jesus and comfort for us. Comfort. Do you find this to be a comforting doctrine? Do you take comfort in knowing that Jesus Christ will come to judge the living and the dead in this manner? I have heard many saints express to me, and perhaps you have also heard that in your life, a certain fear about the final judgment. A genuine fear about coming before God and having my works exposed and having my book opened up and having everyone know the things I've done. And even sometimes a fear of being condemned. But for the Christian, there's no fear. And there need be no fear when we think of the final judgment. There is comfort. The Catechism doesn't even ask us whether or not there is comfort for us, but the question is, what is your comfort when you think of that great day of judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ? There is comfort. There is no fear. As John writes in one of his epistles, Fear has torment, torment of the judgment, but perfect love, the perfect love of God, which floods our hearts and souls, takes away all fear. Now, to be sure, there is fear for some, and there ought to be fear for some when they think of the final judgment. There ought to be fear, and often there isn't fear in the hearts of those who are wicked, in the hearts of those who live impenitently, without repentance in this life. Because the scriptures make exceedingly plain that if you are not in Christ, if you are not a believer in Christ, then you are going to perish in that day. The scriptures teach that no idolater, no adulterer, no murderer, no covetous man will inherit the kingdom of God. The scriptures teach that those who hate their neighbors and do not seek to feed the hungry and give drink to the thirsty and clothe the naked and visit the, the sick and the prisoner will be, so, will be told to depart into everlasting punishment. Whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters will perish. Those who sexually abuse children, those who prey on the weak and vulnerable, those who manipulate people for their own gain, those who sexually pollute their bodies with fornication and adultery, those who steal from the poor and widows or from any neighbor, and those who lie to cover up their deeds, and those who live in self-deception and in deceiving of others throughout their lives without repentance, who stubbornly harden their hearts in those sins to the very end of their lives, will perish. And so it is my duty as a preacher of the gospel to also issue the warning to all who are listening, whoever they may be, to flee from the wrath to come. Flee from the judgment. 
If you are a sinner walking in your sin and not repenting of your sin, humble yourself and repent and flee from the wrath to come by fleeing into the arms of Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Christ and trust in him. There is fear for those too who will come before the judgment seat of Christ hoping to be justified on the basis of their own faith or on the basis of their own works. Those who believe that justification, whether in the past or in the present or in the future, is in any sense based on anything that I do, must live in fear of the judgment. If Christ is going to judge me on the basis of how strong my faith was, or on the basis of how well I lived my life, then I have reason to be afraid. Is my faith strong enough? What about these times of doubts and fears that I've experienced? Will Christ condemn me because of those doubts? Because of those times of perplexity? Because of those times of fear? Will Christ condemn me because I didn't feed the hungry well enough and I I didn't visit the, the strangers enough and I didn't give enough to the poor? Then I must be terribly afraid. The gospel gives us comfort when we think of the final judgment. Because the gospel declares to us that in all my sorrows and persecutions, with uplifted head, I can look for the very same person who before offered himself for my sake to the tribunal of God and who has removed all curse from me to come as judge from heaven. What is my comfort? What is the gospel of the final judgment? That the person who will judge me is Christ. The person who will judge me is Jesus, my Savior. The Savior who loved me, who came into the world for me to save me, who died for me, who shed his blood for me on the cross. That's the judge. He will be the judge. Therefore, I have hope, I have comfort that when I come to the judgment seat and I look up into the eyes of Christ, I will hear him say to me, Yes, these books show that you are a sinner. You don't deserve to enter. But I loved you. And I gave myself for you. I died for you on the cross. I presented myself in body and soul before the judgment seat of God for you to earn a righteousness for you. And I forgive you. I forgive you all of these sins that appear in your book. I blot them all out. I cancel them with my blood. And I give to you, I impute to you, I reckon to you my righteousness, my obedience. I have satisfied for all of your sins through my blood. And when I sent the gospel to you through my servants, through that gospel I gave you faith. And through that faith I gave you to be justified. And I also worked in your heart and in your life so that being justified by faith, you also produced the fruits of a thankful life. I also see in the book of your life these fruits that I have given to you, these good works that I have prepared for you and that you have walked in and produced by my grace. I see that you did feed the hungry. I see that you did give to the poor. I see that you did befriend the stranger and the fatherless and the widow. No, you didn't do it perfectly, but you did it because I worked in your life. I worked that fruit of justification. I worked sanctification in your life. And these fruits also appear before me as the evidence that you are righteous, not in yourself, but in me. You are righteous in me. And because you are righteous in me, that's why you produced those fruits of a godly life, 
Ah, yes, Jesus will say, here's another book that I see. The book of life is also opened up before me. And I see here in this book of life, this book that God wrote before the foundation of the world, this book of election, this book of predestination. I see your name in that book. Right here. Here's your name written in the book. You too are one of my elect, chosen from all eternity. So come, come and enter into the joy of the Lord. Come and enter into the kingdom of God and dwell with God for all eternity. Beloved of the Father, that's what he will say to me. That's my hope and that's my comfort. The gospel of the judgment is a comfort. Now how can it be that Christ will come to judge? How can it be that Christ will appear someday on that judgment seat and all these things will happen? Because he will come. As Christians, we believe Jesus is really coming. Throughout the ages of the Old Testament, the saints looked forward to the coming of Christ. They didn't yet know that there would be two comings of Christ. They just looked forward to the coming of Christ. And then Christ came. He appeared on the earth. And then he went away. He went back to the Father who sent him. But now, in the New Testament, we look forward to the second coming of Christ. And we believe that because also of the promise of the Scriptures, the glorious promise. Our Lord Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall the tribes of the earth mourn those who walked in wickedness without repentance. They shall mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And you recall when Jesus went up into heaven and the disciples stood there looking up there on Mount of Olives and the angels appeared and said in Acts 1 verse 11, This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. The Apostle Paul assured the saints in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And we read the vision of John, in which John saw in a most beautiful fashion Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, sitting on a white horse, appearing in heaven with all the armies of heaven surrounding him, accompanying him, riding on his horse to the earth. That's the coming of Christ. That's his final appearance with many crowns on his head, with eyes as a flame of fire, with a sword coming out of his mouth to judge and make war with the beast. Christ is coming What a glorious promise the Scriptures give us. That's how he will judge, because first he will come. He will return. The glorious truth of the coming of Christ is not that the world is going to get better and better and better in this present age. The glorious truth is not that the world is going to become more and more Christian. That society will be Christianized. That 
academia will be Christianized, that business will be Christianized, that all of the pagan nations will be Christianized, that the whole world will become a, a place of glorious peace and tranquility and righteousness. A time, an age of perhaps a millennium, perhaps a thousand years or more in which the Christian church will reign on the earth and then Jesus will come. Only after that thousand years of glorious peace and righteousness and prosperity. That's not the glorious truth. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, immediately after the tribulation of those days. That's when I will come. Yes, it is true, as the post-millennialist says, that in Matthew 24, Jesus, when he gives the signs of his coming, wars and rumors of wars, apostasy and persecution, that all those things were fulfilled in that generation, That's true. There was a fulfillment of all those things in that generation. There were wars, there were earthquakes, there were famines, pestilences, persecution in the days of the apostles already. That's true. But the rest of the scriptures make so plain that that could not have been the final fulfillment of those signs, but was only a type pointing forward to the future fulfillment of those signs. Jesus said, immediately after the tribulation, the great tribulation, when the abomination of desolation will appear in the holy place of the temple, when the Antichrist will come, immediately after those days, he will appear with all his mighty angels on the clouds of heaven and power and glory. Nor is the glorious truth that we, the church, are going to be raptured up into heaven before that great tribulation and before the coming of Christ. There are those also who teach that. Millions and millions of professing Christians around the world believe that there will be a rapture of the church before the Antichrist comes, before the Great Tribulation happens, before the outpouring of the vials of God's wrath and judgment upon the earth. They believe that the church in this way will escape those awful things, those awful times. And they believe that after a period of tribulation and persecution upon the Jews, when the man of sin will rise to power, then Jesus will come. But Jesus will come, they believe, all the way down to the earth, down to Jerusalem, and he will defeat the Antichrist and stay on the earth and live on the earth and reign on the earth for a thousand years. That's not the glorious truth either. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. These Christians hope to escape tribulation. But Jesus never promised that we will escape tribulation. Rather, he said, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. He teaches us to prepare for those last days. And he comforts us with the fact that the days of tribulation will be short. A time and times and half a time. In other words, it will be brief. It will be cut short. The Antichrist will not reign long. And then suddenly in the midst of that tribulation... Christ will appear, and he will appear not after a millennium on earth or before a millennium on earth, but he will appear on the last, the very last day of history to bring salvation. 
and to translate us into the new heavens and the new earth. That's the glorious truth. That's the Christian hope. The coming of Christ will be a personal coming. It's not a figurative thing. It's a literal, personal coming. The person of Jesus will come on the clouds with his angels. It will be a visible coming. Every eye will see him, the scriptures say, in more than one place. Every eye will see him. We don't know how that miracle will take place, but everyone will see him coming on the clouds with his angels. And it will be a sudden coming, the scriptures say. You don't know the day or the hour of his return, but he will come as a thief in the night. He will come suddenly and unexpectedly. Not for us. We're expecting him to come. We're looking for his coming. And in those last days, we will be longing for his coming like no other time. Our heads will be lifted up every day, looking, looking, looking in the clouds. But to those who hate him, those who will think that the Antichrist is Christ, that day will come as a thief and they will be swept away. And Jesus promises he is coming quickly. Revelation 22, verse 7, Behold, I come quickly. I come quickly. And when he comes, that most glorious day of all history, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the universe will be shaken as the whole of the creation will be rolled up as a scroll. And then we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ to be led from there into the new heavens and the new earth. How can we be sure that Christ has the power to come again? Because Currently, he sits at the right hand of God. Where is Christ now? Where has Christ been? He has been at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That's where he has been. Because when he ascended up into heaven, God gave him a seat, a throne next to his throne, which is the right hand of power. And that seat is not a literal physical place, but that seat at the right hand of God is a figure of speech. In this world, there are kings who sit on their thrones And those kings are the rulers over their whole realm. But at their right-hand side, there is often a seat. And that seat is the highest position of power in the whole nation under the king. And God has given that place to Jesus. And that's where he is. Why is he there? The catechism teaches us, Because there, the Father, through him, governs all things. God has set him far above all principalities and powers and thrones and dominions and every name that is named and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And he governs all things for the sake of his church. Do you believe that? You believe that Jesus is sitting at the right hand, governing all these forest fires that have been popping up throughout Canada and the United States and Europe, and even in the far-off islands of Hawaii? You believe that God, through Christ, is governing the earthquakes that have shaken the ground and the volcanoes that have spewed forth their lava? Do you believe that God, through Christ, 
has been governing that war in Ukraine in which the Russian president has invaded the country and continues to wage war against them for his selfish purposes? Do you believe that God through Christ is in complete and sovereign control over the rise of China in the East and the decline of Western powers in the West? Do you believe that God in Christ is in complete and sovereign control of the persecution happening to the saints in India and the chaos and civil war in Myanmar and all of the other upheavals and unrest throughout the world? Do you believe that God is in sovereign control through Christ of developments here in Canada as we see the government become more and more liberal, as we see our freedoms taken away, as we see the Christian faith more and more rejected. Do you believe that? Christ is at the right hand of God. He has been given all power and authority, and he reigns. And the Catechism also says that from up there, he pours out heavenly graces upon us. He pours down upon us and gives to us the gifts of pastors and missionaries because one of the great signs, the greatest sign of the coming of Christ is the spread of the gospel in all nations. So Christ continually pours out the heavenly graces of pastors and missionaries whom he sends into the churches and into the nations to preach even in the face of all that tribulation, the gospel. And he pours out heavenly graces upon each of us, his members, so that he defends us and preserves us. He doesn't promise to preserve us from all suffering, but he preserves us in that suffering. He preserves us through that suffering, and he will preserve us all the way. He's at the right hand of God. He has all power. That's how we know. He will come again. As he said, he's able to. And he will fulfill his promise. I believe, that's your confession and mine, Jesus Christ sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and from thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Amen. Our Father, we give all praise and honor to Thee that Thou art the Almighty God who dost reign over all things. We give thanks to Thee that Thou art a merciful God unto us to give us a Savior so that we need not fear that great and terrible day of judgment. We thank Thee for the comfort that is in Christ. and We pray that we may look and watch for his coming again. May that be the great hope of our hearts that carries us through all this